everybody. It's comedian Trent McClellan, and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week, I have a cool guest, and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. In every single one of these conversations, I learned a great deal, and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal, too. So uh, hang on tight, and thanks for listening to The Generators. There you are. There you are. You found me. You found us. The Generators Podcast. Oh, man. It is so good to see you. You know what I mean? You know, if you're a returning listener, welcome back. You look amazing. Has anyone ever told you that? You look amazing. I don't know what you're doing, but you're absolutely crushing it with what you're doing. Just it's it's all working for you. Keep it up. If you're new to the Generators Podcast, welcome. So good to see you, huh? There are no strangers, only friends we haven't met yet. <laughs> anyway, welcome. Take your shoes off. Grab a seat. Good to have you in the house. I'm recording this on July 4th, 2018. So if you're listening to this in the United States of America, I hope you're just down there jamming burgers and hot dogs in your mouth and just going absolutely insane. I'm sure you've already purchased about $1,000 worth of fireworks, as I know Americans like to do. It's interesting because in Canada, when we have Canada Day or any kind of major celebration that requires fireworks, generally the city in question will say, hey, we're taking care of all the fireworks. We're going to have them at a certain time and place. Why don't you all come down and watch them or get yourself to an area where you can see them in the sky? In America, everybody thinks they're the mayor and has their own fireworks and tries to outdo their neighbors. And that's basically what it is. So if you have a dog down there, he's probably just hiding under the couch thinking the world is ending. That's basically what's happening. So uh, happy 4th of July to all of our U.S. friends. I hope it's a good one for you. We just celebrated Canada Day up here. And uh, I was on stage last <laughs> last weekend. And uh, I said, happy Canada Day. And, uh, you know, room full of people, one person clapped, you know. And I was like, that is so Canadian right there. Like, we're proud. But, you know, we don't need to be clapping about it. You know, we don't need to be rah, uh, rah, rah. If I would have said, you know, happy 4th of July in America, I'm telling you there'd be a full-out chant of USA, USA. In Canada, room full of people. Yeah, one person, I got this. I'll, I'll clap, you know. Everyone else is like, you know, we don't want to brag. We're good. We're good. So uh, just that kind of inner confidence that us Canadians tend to have, you know, that kind of... Uh, that uh, inner swagger, we'll call it. Um, yeah, so uh, things are good with me. If you're wondering, if you're about to say that, or if you were saying that to your speaker for the last three minutes, I'm hearing you. Things are good with me, feeling good, you know? And uh, But enjoying summer. It's been a little cooler here in Calgary, but it's going to warm up, I think, this week as a stampede starts. So there's going to be a gong show for, uh, for about 10, 11 days so that's coming up, and people are either loving that in Calgary, and they can't wait, or they are getting the hell out of the city and renting their homes out to other people who want to come enjoy the Stampede festivities. 
Um, so I'm kind of in the middle. I'm not, I don't love it and I don't hate it. I'm kind of right in the middle. I do, I enjoy it a little bit, but I don't go mad like some people. So I find myself kind of riding the fence there a little bit, but Annie Hoodles. Um, oh man. So I got up early this morning, right? And, uh, go out to my car and the car has been broken into not broken into. Cause clearly I did not lock the doors. You think you live in a nice safe suburb. Nope. You don't. Um, my car got broken into luckily there was nothing there to steal. Uh, but they did take all the receipts and stuff and just throw them all over the place. Thank you for doing that. You could have at least organized them. Um, neighbor's car got broken into, uh, and then the third person down their actual home got broken into and uh yeah man that sucks i mean it's so it's not just about the break in itself it's about the peace of mind that it takes from you after the fact i mean that sucks that's that's that you know that uh that stays with you for a while so if you got broken into and now you hear a little bump in the night you're thinking oh man here we go again so it sucks for those people and uh i don't know man i just it it's disappointing it's like you know really you're gonna go through people's cars and stuff and Apparently have this person on camera. Um, I think it's a lady, actually, that they think uh, did it. So I don't know. Chances are you'll never, ever find this person. But I start thinking crazy stuff when something like that happens. I don't know about you, but I start thinking about, man, I'm going to stay up every single night and sit in the dark in the window of my house and just watch and just wait and see if someone comes by. I've also thought about sleeping in my car overnight in the dark, just sitting there, just waiting, just waiting for someone to try that handle. And then, bam, T-Train's there. You know what I mean? Now, now who's surprised, huh? Huh? Maybe I'll throw the receipts around for you. How about I try that? Anyway, uh, I shook it off. It's like, whatever, no big deal, no damage done. So uh, it worked out. I guess, in the end. You have to be grateful for what didn't happen, I suppose, sometimes. I'm going to set up this episode. Man, this is a doozy. Oh, this is... If you're tuning into this for the first time, boy, have you chosen an absolute humdinger of a show to listen to. My guest this week is Steph Labe, who is the starting goalkeeper for the Canadian women's national soccer team. Bam. There you go. How's that? How's that for quality guest? Huh? She came over to the old, um, La Maison de Trent here. And, uh, she was nice enough to give me, uh, some of her time. Such a great, great person. Uh, we had a fantastic chat about a thousand things. I mean, we talked about, we talked about sports and coaching and about mental preparation and got into a whole bunch of stuff. So I think there's a, there's a bunch of stuff to take away from this, um, this uh, chat. It was the first time I'd ever met her, and, and I felt like I'd known her for years. Like That's kind of how this one flowed, which I, I love it when it goes that way, when it's just kind of an organic, easygoing conversation. And um, got into a ton of stuff. And I think if you are an athlete, a young athlete especially, I think there's, there's some really great stuff in this for you. And if you are someone who is maybe considering trying meditation perhaps, this is a great one for you, talking about benefits of it and how it's kind of improved her performance on the field. And um, yeah, just an overall fantastic chat. So enjoy this one with my guest, Steph Lavin.
Thanks for finding the house. Yeah, no it's problem. Sometimes. It was nice and easy. The navigation works. <laughs> People driving around. What color is your house? Beige. All the houses are beige. No one can find beige. it. Beige. There's a little bit of brick on it. Mm, okay. Well, it's funny because like, I'm from Newfoundland and... Uh, there's no rules per se on home color. So like people, you can paint your house like neon pink. No one gives a shit. There's rules here. But here there's like bylaws and Whoa. stuff. And like you can't. Yeah, it's just different. So when I came here, I was like, everything's like a shade of beige or gray. Like I was like, I put some splash some color in yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's well, I just bought a house in Calgary and it's partly black. So. Oh, nice. We got a pop of color in there. Oh, wow. You. Yeah. We you, lucked out. You have connections. So yeah. You're like, I know. We know people. <laughs> I know folks. Like, yeah, put that on. They just look the other way and yeah. sign off on the actual <laughs> building permit. So. Um, so training today, this morning, how yeah. was it? Was it tough? Was it grueling? It was, um, yeah, it was good. It was tough. It's always, you know, anytime I'm with the guys it's I'm pushing myself to a new level and um, the body feels it after especially when it's been a week or two since being with them the body's feeling it but it's yeah, always good for sure I got a uh, cortisone shot yesterday in my shoulder oh. I, have a, I have bursitis there and uh, I got the shot and he's like yeah it'll probably take a few days to kind of set in and then but I felt great right away. I was like, this is awesome. Then I woke up this morning. I was like, oh, now uh, I know what he's talking about. So now it's like, oh, yeah, you had a needle jammed yeah. directly. Right. It's probably and not hurt. just like a tiny little needle. No. I didn't look. I just he was yeah. right here. And I just looked straight ahead. I was like, yeah, I don't want to see. It's what's probably happening. like the size of your like forearm. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had cortisone shots before? <laughs> oh, God, it's like not. I I'm just... Knock on wood. No. Well, he's, and he's got the screen, too, where he's fall, like see exactly where he needs to oh, put yeah. it to get it into the bursa or whatever. And I was like, man, when did I get so old? Like, I didn't even. <laughs> injure it i just literally just was just over time yeah. gradual it's like oh this oh. is embarrassing why did i because when you go to physio at first he's like so what was the nature of the injury I was like i don't know man just life just hurts like <laughs> like getting a towel you know like just he's like okay let's see what you can just do reaching for, for that can of soup and bam yeah explosive <laughs> explosive motion going for that milk and something let go so it just got progressively worse over time it's like oh it's over for me <laughs> Over for me. So when did you decide that you were going to become a goalkeeper? Like when you first started playing, um, is that what you wanted to do straight away? Or were you an outfield player first, like midfielder, forward, fullback? Like, yeah, what, what was no, I definitely wanted to be a goal scorer. That was, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I started out playing hockey when I was really young, wanting to be just like my big brother. And then um, things got challenging in the sense of I kind of hit the age in hockey where boys were going to start to shower in the locker room and we weren't going to home dress anymore. Right. It was like cool for the boys to all of a sudden shower. So then <laughs> just, to, just, to just all you? of us, no, just not that they pause. weren't showering before. <laughs> what town was this? <laughs> we lived Guys, in a really small we're town. all showering. <laughs> It's going to be awesome. We There's warm 14. water. We're 14 and we can shower now. That's funny. Yeah, you're right. Because there is an age where boys okay. realize like, oh, that smell is me. Yeah. Okay. I should probably, should probably take yeah, care of that. So we hit that, that ripe age <laughs> where, yeah, boys, all of a sudden it was like a cool thing to not get dressed at home in right. all of your hockey gear and ride in the car in full gear Just and sweating, show yeah. up sweating. All you had to bring was your skates and your helmet. Right. Actually, I think the helmet was probably on your head as well. Yeah, just in case. But anyways, so we got to that point and I decided I didn't really want my own locker room. I was the only girl and right. um, yeah, so things were starting to change a bit and a bunch of my girlfriends were like, hey, you should come play soccer with us. I was kind of playing soccer in the summer, um, just like rec league, not much. Um, but my girlfriends, you know, were pushing me to play indoor with them. Yep. Um, so, and I couldn't do indoor and hockey. It's just not possible. So I decided to go try out for indoor and I played a season of indoor with them and 
loved it so much that when the summer came, I wanted to try out for a rep team with the girls and, and play for, um, yeah, tier one team. So I went out to tryouts and as in any tryouts at like 12 years old, you know, the coach wants to do a shooting drill and he says, who wants to go in net? And like eight girls put up their hands. And so I was one of those girls. I was like, sure. So I went in net. And, um, then after the tryouts, he, the coach came up to me and just said, you know, how badly do you want to play on this team? And I was like, yeah, pretty bad. You know, I wanted to be around my friends. <laughs> right, yeah. I was a social butterfly at the time. That's really the only reason I wanted to play <laughs> yeah. on the team was to be with my friends. Yeah. Um, and he said, okay. He's like, well, we, we want you on the team, but we want you as a goalie. And I was like, Oh, and I'm like, sure. Why not? Oh, wow. And then, yeah, that's just kind of how it started. Just so it was like by it. default. Yeah. It was wow. like, Oh, you made one save in the shooting drill. So you, you must be legit. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. We have no one else has ever been hundred yeah. percent on this team. Yeah. So let's, let's get you. It in was there. probably because I had the biggest hands of all the girls uh, and yeah. And, and clearly you probably weren't afraid of the ball early. Like were you yeah, like, cool? I must've no, I, I mean, you know, maybe it was from playing hockey with the boys the whole time. I kind of lost a fear complex. I right. didn't really have that as much. Um, yeah, I don't know. So then for many, many years, I would play like half the game in goal and half the game as an outfield player. And yep. really, um, I think I, when I was younger, really enjoyed the time as an outfield player a little bit more because I just wanted to score goals. Yeah. But then, and because I was playing for a really good team. So when I was a goalie, I didn't really do much. I was like Kevin Sword fights and... <laughs> Picking flowers and weeds. Waving over folks. Yeah. Going, Get me a burger. Hey, mom. Yeah, burger it up. <laughs> mom, I got a shutout. <laughs> Doing pretty good. Wait, no, that one went in. Oh, oh man, I should pay more attention. <laughs> oh, 11 one. Oh, well. <laughs> We're still going to win this one. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So it's funny because, like, I, uh, when I played, I played in university and stuff. And, like, I remember, like, throwing on my the goalie's gloves just for, you know, just fooling around. And, you, and I realized how horrible I was. Like, I'm like, yeah, I should never, ever talk to our keeper ever yeah. again. But you know what I mean? Like never ever go, Hey, you got to come for that. I'd like, you know what? I should just shut my mouth. Cause clearly I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm bobbling balls. Like yeah. it's just like, you realize, realize how tough it is once you're in there. I think even when I watch games on TV, like I watched the champions league final, right. And you watch the Liverpool. Yeah, I, I just have, I watched that one live actually. Oh, so. you were there. Okay. Just going to throw that one you in You just want to rub that in. You come into my <laughs> house. You're like, yeah, I guess where I was Trent. Oh, I don't know. Behind the net. Um, and I felt so bad for him because yeah. it's like, you know, and they think they had, that he had a concussion. They realized that he may have had a concussion from earlier in the game. Maybe. Yeah. Um, sure you did. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I'm like, it's all on you. Like that, that pressure of mm. you make a mistake. If I'm playing in the back line, you can bail me out. If I'm a midfield, I have someone behind yeah. me. Generally it's you're the last line of defense. Like that's a lot of pressure. Did you get used yeah. to that pressure early on? It was kind of like, nah, this is just fun. So who cares? Yeah. I think you do get used to it. And like looking at that, you know, he made two mistakes in that game and the two mistakes were goal led to goals. And how many of the midfielders, made missed passes or, you know, went to, to take someone on one V one and lost it or, um, forwards missing a breakaway or missing an open shot, you know, those things. Yep. And you remember them for five, 10 minutes, or maybe for a day or two after the game, you remember, Oh, that forward, they, they missed that shot or they really missed. That was a golden opportunity, but then it kind of fades away. But with the goalkeeper, unfortunately that's going to plague his career almost like yeah. those things stay with you for so long. And, um, I think that's the tough thing. Cause at the same time you can make a worldy save and that stays with you for a very long time. So it's like, it's managing the highs and the lows and trying to stay even grounded. Cause you can be the hero or the villain. And it's, 
at the end of the day, you know, that's what people will talk about is yeah. the, the goalkeeper and the big save that they made or the big mistake they made. And I think that for me, it was a learning curve um, growing up and learning about that, um, especially because, as I said, I played for a really strong club team. So growing up, I didn't let in a lot of goals or make a lot of mistakes. And if I did make mistakes, it wasn't like super punishable. It wasn't like we were losing a game one nothing. It was like, maybe we lost or maybe we won five one instead of five nothing or so things weren't as highlighted right um so that was something that i quickly had to learn once i started um getting called into like provincial team and youth national teams and things like that where the pressures were higher and the stakes were higher yeah um it was something i had to kind of learn along the way and um and then now especially like in the professional and the international world it's it's much different stakes it's huge yeah Mm -hmm. and like that kind of ability to reset and go, okay, that's done. Yeah. And now not letting it be a hangover into the next play and the next exactly. thing. I think that was something I really struggled with when I played was, uh, is like, I don't know, I just had this, I think, you know, I look back on it and my, I go, I walked into it with way too much anger and intensity. Yeah. Like it meant way too much to me. Yeah. And so a loss would stick around with me. And I mean, like this is house league and it's a loss would stick around <laughs> with me for like three days. It's like, dude, you're playing like, uh, an under 12 game at like in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. And I'm like, yeah, but I, we lost. It's like, everyone's was, watching. Everybody's watching. What if there were TV cameras? You don't know. I could never get a career. There may so, have been a scout there. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. In the woods, hiding in a tree as he hunted moose. Uh, but it's like, I think I realize now looking back, I would have been a far better player to be far, um, more calm and just let stuff go. But I think mm-hmm. it was something that, I never had, you know, even playing provincial teams and even in university, we did not spend a lot of time on the psychological aspect of the game and, like, how do you move on from something. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, because I was such an emotional player, which I thought gave me my edge, like, I need to be at that, if you know what I mean, like, that mm-hmm. stage mentally yeah. in order to be effective. But there's yeah. a line that you can cross and you're like, okay, well, now you're not effective anymore. Now it's actually a detriment kind of thing. So for sure. uh, I don't know if you got to that point where you're yeah. like, okay, this matters, but you got to bring it down a little. And I think there's like a balance between, especially as a goalkeeper, like just forgetting things. You know, I used to say, and I'll quote myself, I used to always say, you know, as a goalkeeper, we need to have the memory of a fish. We need to be able to just like reset every like two Mm -hmm. to three seconds. But for me now, I've learned that like you can't just forget things because then it's almost like it takes away the passion and the caring. If you're just like, oh, I let it go on. Eh, Oh, well, it's over now. Yeah. You know? It's about finding a way for it to fuel you and to learn really fast. So it's like you're carrying that emotion over, but in a positive way that you're ready to like attack the next play. So it's like, I used to say I need to just forget it, but now I've learned that, okay, it's not enough to just forget it and let it go, but it's about finding a way to bring over whatever emotion or passion that you need from that mistake Mm -hmm. to fuel you to make the next like big, even bigger save kind of thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to kind of refocus it and yeah. reframe it to go, now I, I can use that now to go forward. Exactly. And it's like what you were saying is after a loss, you know, you want to be able to hold on to it because that means you care if you actually feel the loss. You know, after you lose, when you see people and they're just kind of blank, they're like, oh, well, next game. Like, yeah, you know, it, it's great that they're able to forget it, move on. But at the same time, you kind of wonder like, well, how much do you actually care? Like, is there a passion in there? So it's it's finding that balance between like not letting it linger negatively um but 
being able to pull something out of it to fuel you for the next one. No, it's a good point. And I remember thinking that like with teammates and I'd be devastated and someone else would go, oh, we're going to go to Dairy Queen. And I was like, I can't eat ice cream. <laughs> Do you understand what just happened? Are you rewarding yourself? <laughs> remember that time you turned the ball over? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that? And you think you deserve a Sunday? Are you shitting me right now? Like I would just totally. <laughs> no hot fudge for you. Yeah. I don't think you should ever smile again. Have you ever thought about that? Like, it was way too harsh. Uh, but I realized, <laughs> the other thing, too, is people do deal with it differently. Like, yep. like I look at Christine Sinclair, for example, and I'm like, she looks like she's going to run through a wall right now. Like, yeah. she's in war mode. You look at someone else, they're having a joke with the referee. They're, you know, mm-hmm. like, people do have their own ways of being dialed in and focused. And especially when you have a big squad, yep. people approach the game differently. People prepare differently. Yeah. And... I think if you're not careful, you can kind of worry too much about what everybody else is doing. Like, oh, and she doesn't seem, she doesn't seem focused right now, or yeah. he doesn't seem like he's dialed in. It's like, you kind of have to let people be who they're going to be. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Oh, for sure. And it's, it's all about like bringing in all those personalities to fuel the team as well and finding a way for everyone to mesh. But definitely, I've definitely experienced that in my time, just people dealing with things differently and especially like personal performances yeah. Um, and finding ways to like help each other without, you know, because you can speak harder to some people than other people and um, just different people receive information in different ways. And um, that's definitely like it's a big learning curve when you are with a big, especially a big women's team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who can who can just, I yell at? Who can I not yell at? Pretty much. Who she needs confidence? Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like who do I need to? to like boost during the game who do i need to or who can like yeah handle me being a little harder on them and yep. demanding more out of them and yeah it's it's like finding a way to demand things out of people in totally different ways i wonder too if that's changed i mean you hear a lot of talk about um you know these hard-ass coaches in any sport who were kind of like it was more like military boot camp type style where it's like my way or the highway and mm-hmm. Everyone agrees that we all have to be on the same page system wise and all that stuff. But you're right. That ability to deal with personalities. I think of like people like uh, Bobby Knight in college basketball Mm -hmm. where it's like this is the way it is. And if you don't like it, everyone gets the same earful. There's there was none of that kind of uh, evaluation of like personalities and what that person needs. But then I think of people like um, Mike Krzyzewski with Duke basketball, for example. Mm -hmm. He seems to be very in tune with each player's individual needs. And Mm -hmm. there's that. But that's more work, right? That yeah. means you have to invest more time into each individual player as opposed to just going, no, I just do it this way and everyone gets the same treatment. So exactly. it seems like coaching is also and communication has evolved over time in sport. Oh, you know? for sure. And I, I think like I look at those two situations and the type of coach you are, especially in, I mean, college sports obviously is different because you are recruiting constantly and every year you have a changeover. And I think <clears> that based on their coaching styles, they probably recruit players specific to that so for example at duke they're recruiting good characters it reminds me a lot of yukon yep. um, where i went the with the women's program gina oriyama um he talks about that he recruits good characters and um of course they're skillful good basketball players but he wants good people yep. and that's because it's the type of coach that he is whereas if you're a coach where you're saying everyone's going to get the same earful it doesn't matter then you'll probably tend to recruit a different type of a player True. you won't be as concerned about that because um, that's not one of, I guess, your big priorities, but, yep. um, I think it's, it's the respect thing is it's all, it's different, right? Like you have to have different characters and good people on the team and it's all about buying into the same vision and the same goal. And 
I think it's on the field is one thing, but then it's how you communicate off the field as well. And I think that's the biggest thing. And, um, you know, I look at all these different coaches that I've had over the years and different coaching styles. And it reminds me that I never want to be a coach ever (laughs) 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 because that's like the part of the game that I think is so important. It makes such a difference, but is the hardest thing. Like how, especially I look at a soccer team and you've got, between 20 and 25 players on the roster and on any given day, only 11 can play. And especially on the goalkeepers, you've usually got three goalkeepers on any given day, only one can play. And usually if one's playing, like you're not subbing. Yes. Right. So it's like in order to manage and keep everybody motivated, everybody buying into the vision, everybody believing that they're just as much a part of the team, whether they're on the field or not, like that's the toughest part of the game. And if you're able to do that and able to have every player buying in and being there for the team and putting the team ahead of themselves, then you've done an incredible job. And those are usually the successful teams, but that's the part of the job that I think is, is so, um, I think it's becoming more apparent now, but I think that it's so underrated. Yeah, I agree. I think I heard that that was, uh, Alex Ferguson's greatest attribute was that mm-hmm. he could leave someone out of the lineup literally like you're not dressing today, but make you feel like you're the most important player in the world for next week's game. Right. Like, yeah, you're not going to play on Sunday, but Wednesday when we play Arsenal, we need you to do a great job against so-and-so. And And he goes, you would leave the room going like, I'm the man. And it's like, meanwhile, you're not even in the lineup today. But that is is a personality management thing that I don't think every single coach has or cares to have, quite frankly. You know, and that's, that's one thing too, is if you're saying that and it, and then actually following through, I yeah. think that's the biggest thing, you know, is like, you can say those things and make people feel great, but if you don't follow through, then that's where you start to lose the trust and lose the respect. For sure. So tell me about your time at UConn. You, how long did you play there? Yeah, I played four full seasons there. So I was there for about five years cause I had to take one year off for the, I had a U20 world cup and then I had, um, I took a semester off as well for the 2008 Olympics. So right. um, took some some little semester breaks in there. But, yeah, I played for four full years there. So I talked to uh, Mike Commodore, who was a, played in the NHL for 14 seasons and played with the Flames and stuff. And he played uh, NCAA hockey as well. Mm-hmm. And I playing soccer in Canada in university, like I think – I do think the college experience is is such a unique experience, like mm-hmm. in terms of you're growing as a person, you know, meeting all these people. Um, for me, it was the highest, you know, clearly the highest level I'd ever played at. And I went from a position of where I was um, the kind of focal point of every team that I was on, like provincial teams and all that stuff. And I get to university and now I'm coming in off the bench. And mm-hmm. that was a real tough time for me because I just felt like, wow, I'm not I'm not the focal point of this team and now trying to stay engaged in the game while I was on the bench, you go into these dark mental places mm. where you sulk and you feel like, well, I'm just as good as that guy. And how come I'm sitting over here? I also trained my ass off this week and really I'm going to like, yeah. so it took me the better part of the season to get my head around how I can come in and make a difference. And some games not coming in mm-hmm. and wow, like I, you know, like it, it, it really stung and it was a real change of mentality for me to go, okay, what can I bring to the table still and not make it about me all the time. And that was really hard. Like when you came into university, what was that transition like for you as a player and a person? Yeah, it was, um, for me, I went into university and, um, my freshman year, um, I was playing half of a game every game. Um, so I, they had, it was me and then there was a senior goalkeeper. So she would start every game and I would play second half of every game. Um, and then when we got to the end, when we got to playoffs, um, then I started starting and playing all the games in the playoffs. 
Um, so it, I, I don't think I had too much of a shock in that sense where I wasn't playing um, as much. But I definitely was like a parent to it around me and seeing players around me that were coming in. And yeah, it's almost like everyone comes in as the best from their little clubs that they came from. And then you're coming to a team. And then you, it's funny because then you see the transition from that into like the pro leagues. And, you know, it's the yep. same thing. Everyone's coming from their club just, teams. And then you see the same thing going into the national team. You're at the national team and every player is the best on their pro teams. Right. And then you're trying to to be on the national team. So it's, it's cool to like see the dynamics there. And I think, you know, I'm so thankful that I've had a good mindset and mentality um, with being a goalkeeper. Cause I think that our position's pretty unique in that sense of you're the starter, you don't. And um, I've been on all sides of it. I've been the third goalkeeper. I've been the second and I've been the starter. So I've seen it all at, at all the different levels. And um, it's, it's quite the, the mindset to to deal with and to handle and to battle on a daily basis it is yeah um i asked mike this question too and i, I think it's an interesting debate you always hear players talk about especially when they win it's always like you know tell me about why you won this championship it's like oh we're we're such a tight team we're so close you know they're like sisters to me or like brothers to me or whatever it is and i asked mike commodore i said you know do you believe that do you think that that's just kind of put out there as a phrase. That's kind of a go-to mm -hmm. thing that people say, or does it, is it true? Because I've, I've been on teams that were successful being both ways mm -hmm. where we were really tight off the field, Yeah. but I've been on teams that did pretty well where it was kind of clicky and yeah. you know, there was little pockets of two and three people that hung out. What's your thought process on kind of, you know, team unity? Like, yeah, just what you think about it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, my first instinct is to go towards our national team mm -hmm. and, I think first off, like when people say those things, I, I think it's always good to talk to people who play many, many minutes. And then yeah. you ask the same question to people who don't play at all. Good point. Because um, usually the players who start and are playing every minute, yeah, they're right. in a great space. Everybody loves them. Coach loves them. They don't have any issues. And, yeah. you know, they get selected all the time. So they're in a good space. And um, so I think it's like take what they say with a grain of salt and then you talk to the players who don't get much playing time and you see where their mindset's at. And if they're given the same answers, then I think that's where you can see if it really is a team unity. Um, but my first instinct is to think about our national team. And, um, you know, I look back to 2012 when, well, 2011 will go the World Cup. We finished dead last in Germany. Um, didn't win a game. Just complete, like, rock bottom of, of our team. And... Nine months later, the, you know, well, a couple months after the World Cup, John Herdman comes in, and nine months later, the team wins a bronze medal in, in London. And um, many would say from the outside, the team had no business winning that medal. Um, but the way that the team came together, they were, don't get me wrong, John got them to a um, technical and tactical position where they out-tacticked many teams. The defensive play in that tournament was outstanding, and the thing that really the team came together was they had one vision and one goal, and that was to see their flag rise. Yeah. And everybody, everyone bought into that, whether they were playing 90 minutes a game or didn't step on the field. Um, everyone really bought into that, and that team was so cohesive and so tight that, um, you know, even as somebody who took a break from the team that year and was a bit of an outsider, like seeing that, you could see that everybody was on the same page and... Um, everyone wanted the same thing and then 
you know, four years later for us to go to Rio and do the same thing with a very different team, mm-hmm. um, a very young team. Um, but I, I look at that team and it was like the same type of feeling. Granted, we were technically and tactically and physically um, much further ahead mm-hmm. um, than the team originally was. But I think the growth that the team went through, but at the same time, like, and I think it's different when you're playing, you know, friendlies versus you're in a big tournament. It's easy when you're in the Olympics for everyone to have one goal. It's easy for everyone to have the short term vision of let's win a medal or let's win. You know, that's very easy for everyone to kind of focus on. And then you're going into these friendlies, you know, for example, last week we had a game against Germany and it's different for everyone to have the same goal because it's everyone's goal in that game. Well, I want to play. Well, I want to get this because we're looking at longer term goals. You know, we have qualifying, we have the world cup next year. I want to be playing in that. So I want to be playing in these games so I can prove, you know, so people are on a bit different pages now. Um, cause it's not as clear cut what the team's vision is, you know, it's of course the vision is we want to win in, in two years or in a year. Um, but it's hard to put that vision into, you know, these singular games and actually have everyone on the same page because everyone's on a bit of personal agendas now. Yeah, for sure. So it's, I think it's the timing of those things is different, but I do believe that in championships, team chemistry takes a team a very long way. Um, cause it's those dying minutes when it's, you know, you're winning one, nothing and the other team ties it up in the 88th minute. Does your team falter and fall down? Cause you think you've just lost it or do you come together and, and keep going? You know, it's, it's those those moments where you need people to rise and if you're surrounded by people that you trust and you think that have your back you're gonna rise and i think that that's um that can make or break and do you think that that ultimately is down to i'm sure it's probably a little bit of both but is it down to coaching and kind of what the framework is put in place at the time or does it really matter like you said Mm -hmm. further to kind of who you recruit is like the characters that you have in the room, like you can plan team meals and team whatever. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that can be because I've seen that happen too, where it looks like this team is pretty together. Look at all the stuff they're doing together that's been organized by right. the team. But really, it's not that cohesive a unit. But when people are just doing things organically and going, hey, I'm like you can. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a real the authentic difference. teamness as opposed to a. Uh, superficial look we do everything together it's like mm, yeah but that person hates that person or yeah. they you know like I, I know players who played in the men's national team who would not pass the ball to each other mm-hmm. like they despise each other to that point um, you could see them at a team meal later or you could see them at, you know yeah like there's that Im- image of it too yeah for sure and I think back to um, I remember before the 2015 World Cup in Canada we had a huge focus on team chemistry because we knew that um, with it being a home world's cup, there's going to be a lot of pressure on us and mm-hmm. people were feeling the pressure, you know, and just so many distractions being in Canada. Um, you know, it's one thing when, like, I think about when we're down in Rio, as soon as we'd leave the hotel, no one had phone service, you know? So on the bus ride to games, to trainings, you know, people are starting to focus on it. Whereas in Canada, you have your phone with you all the time. You're meeting your family before and after in the hotel, you've got friends coming, you're sorting out tickets cause you've got a lot of people come to the games. There's all the media. You can read it. It's in English. Um, You're way more accessible to the media because you're in Canada. There's just, there's so many extra distractions. So we did a lot of focus on team chemistry. And I remember coming out of that tournament and a lot of us felt that it felt very forced, that we were almost over pushing the chemistry. And it it felt like that, as you were saying, that 
um you can only force it so much like it's almost like you can lay a foundation but then you have to let it grow organically yeah um, but if you're forcing things that we started to feel that things weren't as authentic and um yeah just what didn't feel organic yeah um but i think that you know i look at that team and i think that it's it filtered from the top you know we had a coach who really believed in that and a coach that really wanted and he does like a lot of us are I, I think that on the Canadian team, there's a lot of really, really, really great people. And he does recruit and, and bring in good people. And we have that in our in our team. But I look at some of our um, a pro team that I was on a few years ago. We were in the championship game and the team was really together, but kind of not on the same page as the staff. But I think that that's something that almost brought the team to that level is that yeah. it was something that binded the team and really... Um, galvanized you. that yeah. was what we were on the same page so i you know i've kind of seen both a successful team where it's cohesive between the team and the staff and then a team where it's not and both teams were successful so Weird. it's interesting how it's i think at the end of the day it's the people that are on the field and are they willing to fight for each other and willing to put their bodies on the line for each other i think that's the biggest thing yeah i think you're right too with the line being so thin between winning and losing it's like you're right like in those dying minutes of a game like can you find it in the tank to dig in. And I found like, you know, I played midfield. So it's like, you know, you're doing a lot of, um, a lot of running that's going unnoticed. And mm -hmm. it's like, are you going to make that run in the 89th minute when you're like, man, I've done that 70 times tonight. And yeah. you know, like it, it's I that make that extra recovery run. Mm -hmm. yeah. That guy's blown an assignment and I got I can cover, I can get back for, for that person. But it's yeah. like, Am I going to do it? And these are things mm -hmm. that, I mean, you're making these decisions in a split second. This is yeah. not, you're not giving it lots of thought. It's just literally, and, and maybe that comes down to your history with that player right. or the chemistry you've built or not built in that mm -hmm. moment. And I think sometimes it does separate, it does separate uh, the difference between winning and losing, you know, For sure. quite frankly, especially when teams are even yep. and it's, there's not much to choose from. Mm -hmm. It can be that little bit of a difference, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Um, so did you enjoy your time in university was when you look back on it, do you, you know, what did you, what did you gain from that time when you played there? Yeah, definitely. When I was first starting to look at university, um, it wasn't a super big thing for Canadians to go down at that time. Um, it was starting to become a trend, but it wasn't um, major. So definitely that was kind of the next step. There was no pro league. So that was like, I wasn't at the time looking to play pro. I didn't really know much about that at all. Um, so that was just kind of the natural next step was to go to university. Um, so I like went on a few recruiting trips and I remember committing and, and going in for my first semester and absolutely loving it. And I think it was, it was the time when I was first moving away from home, um, feeling that little bit of freedom, but then also the, the independence of having to sort your own schedule and be at classes on time and manage homework with training and, um, just kind of managing all of that and really starting to feel like an independent person. Yeah. Um, I think that that was something that I really learned a lot from and, um, yeah, just kind of organizing my life. And I think that that set me up really well for going into the professional world. Um, just having to then instead of balancing school and training, it was like balancing training. And then when am I going to get my gym sessions in? Um, what am I going to do with nutrition? And yep. so it's like, you're still balancing things, but you're just learning to balance them in a different way, I guess, and just like juggling different parts of your life to make sure that at the end of the day, you can perform on the field. Yeah, it's an interesting time too in university because you are, you know, you're just a, 
basically a kid at one point, but then you feel like you're a young adult and you've, by your senior year, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I got life pretty much figured out. Yeah. Pretty much know how everything works. And you Talking realize, to the freshman, you're like, it'll go by so fast. <laughs> you're going to be a senior before you know it. Like, how many times have we heard that line? <laughs> yeah, you're full of wisdom. And as a old, freshman, yeah. you're rolling your eyes like, okay, yeah, I'm just starting. That's in four years. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It, but I, I remember that too, like trying to figure out like classes and when do I study and like mm-hmm. I have this road trip on the weekend and there wasn't really much time for much else. Like, and yeah. I was living with a bunch of guys who weren't playing varsity. So they yeah. were just like, dude, let's party. This is awesome. And I was like, I, uh, I'm literally going to be doing shuttles at 7, yeah. 15 a.m. tomorrow morning. Like, I don't think going out with you guys today yeah. is a good idea. I don't idea. think that's the best idea right now. <laughs> Actually, I did that once, and it was yeah. the worst mistake oh. I ever made. Like, I was like, I, this is a horrible decision for me. And yeah, we so- definitely did it the night before a 6 a.m. gym session. And, oh. oh, yeah, I remember, like, trying to bust out, like, hang cleans and Olympic lifts. And everyone just sweating bullets. And that day, the AC in the gym had broke or something. Oh, no. So we were all just sweating alcohol out and oh <laughs> man not oh, a man. good day and i'm not like fun. lesson learned <laughs> lesson noted. learned noted and speaking yeah. of hard uh like hard ass coaches there was a coach in basketball at the university of uh he was at temple university i think john cheney and apparently they would have they were famous for like 6 a.m practices in the morning Ugh. but one of his team rules was if you're late every minute you're late when you do arrive you sit up in the stands and everyone does an extra shuttle for, oh, yeah. for every minute you were late. You were late so yeah. if you're 20 minutes late, that's 20 extra shuttles for your teammates. Yeah. And then he's like, that only happens once. Like yeah. if you, like exactly. if you, you will hear about it when yeah. practice is your over. Your team's looking up at you. Like, like I am thrown up in a bucket because <laughs> your alarm didn't go off. Is that yeah. what you're telling me right now? Like, so I was like, man, that is hardcore. Yeah. But, but I guess you won't be late next time. No, exactly. You know? So I was like, oh my God, I would feel so bad if I had to sit in stands. Yeah. just like, oh, you guys. Well, Heard some like get to the line. <laughs> you didn't touch the line. Or you're like, keep going, guys. <laughs> Big game Saturday, you got guys. It. You got it. Big game <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Couldn't find parking. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> There's My so bad. many like horror stories you've heard. And for some reason they're all on college. Yeah. But um kids go to college. Yeah, kids, college. It's it's a great <laughs> it teaches you a lot of life lessons. Yeah. You'll learn about punctuality and responsibility <laughs> and accountability. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I I think back and I go, we were our coach was pretty tough too, but I go like that. It wasn't quite to that point. But yeah. getting back to the whole college experience, it's like I think the other thing too I learned was besides coming off the bench and stuff, was also how to deal with different personalities and people mm-hmm. were coming from different areas and you know, they're not all from your hometown. And so there was that whole thing too of trying to develop social skills of like you're going to sit on a bus with someone who you don't know very well next to that person for seven hours like you better learn how to strike up conversations and I think when I look back on it now I realize like my personality I think started to come out more in university I started Mm -hmm. to you start to leave your comfort zone a little bit more did you have the same experience you think yeah I mean for me it was learning that people down in the states don't always know that canadians are people and then people, people live in canada what is that play what's that, what state is that up there like honestly one of my teammates came up to me and said i actually didn't know that people lived in canada wow really and i'm like wow okay and like another girl literally thought that canada was an island and was like floating did these people graduate did they actually <laughs> they, they graduated and like people yeah just it blows my mind. So <laughs> that was the initial shock. And, um, and then, yeah, just totally dealing with many different personalities and different types of 
people it was yeah, yeah that was a big thing and yeah and then as much as you're dealing with everyone else's exactly what you said you're learning who you are and trying to find yourself within a team and like what your place is what your role is and kind of who you are and what you bring to the team and yeah. figuring that all out and at the same time figuring out who you are on the field as part of the team and what role you're going to play and um yeah just kind of all those things yeah it's it is a it is a weird time and i when i talked to um kaylin kyle who was a former national team member she talked about <clears throat> the professional game for women and about how little money there is in the, the women's game. And I, you know, I went to the 2015 world cup in Edmonton. I went to three of the games, I think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I remember sitting there and I've, and I've followed the team for a bunch of years, just, you know, on television, obviously and stuff. And I'm like, the level of play is so good. And as someone who played, like, I'm like, I don't know if you'll appreciate, like, if you've never played, do you know what it's like to have a ball come over your shoulder and, and have a perfect first touch? And like mm -hmm. these things where I'm like any player who, who's technically sound is technically sound. Like it, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're male, female, like just the level of play was so good and so high. <clears throat> and so, you know, when I think about players who are as dedicated as you are and all the players who play in these professional leagues, but like the money is not there or not where it should be. It's like, what, what can a league do to go, Hey, how can we make this so that this is, this is profitable for players who are busting their ass and, and are dedicated. What what can leagues do to make sure that that gets to the next level? Like, what do you what are your suggestions for something like that? Yeah, it's it's a tough one, and you know, I don't know all the intricacies of how leagues are run and where sponsors come from and where a lot of the money comes from. And um, I think a big thing that I look at is I look at overseas and how a lot of the teams have so many sponsors, and you look at their jerseys yeah. that's like a big thing of playing in europe is that their jerseys are covered in sponsors just ads yeah but it's because those are the companies they're actually all paying in and like you know giving money to support players and to, yep. to bring in bigger personality or bigger players and um i i don't know how it works here in the u.s but it seems like there's like one big sponsor and then that's kind of it right and i think there's other ones but it's it's not really the same type of um support it seems like and so i think for me like i think about community and community support and you want to like get companies and people in the community to support the team and support a successful team and i think it's the tough thing is is to keep bringing in money you've got to keep getting fans in the stands and right um that's how you're going to spread the world that's how you're going to make people household names and get kids to start to know people um and almost like the thing I, I think about too is, you know, in women's soccer, you know, you want to get people out to the games. And I think there's a, a strange thing about women's soccer that the athletes are way more accessible to the fans. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not seen as much as like, I think it's different on the international stage, but in the pro world, it's not like as much of celebrities as you think mm -hmm. about in the it's much like, like being a Canadian comedian stuff. much like uh, <laughs> ah, he's yeah. right there pumping gas there he is he's, he's a real person <laughs> he may be working there actually he may actually be squeegeeing you trying to get some extra dollars in there but I think it's yeah. like you think about NHL and how many times would you see a guy walk off the ice and be signing autographs or like standing and people hanging over the glass right there. signing autographs right there yeah um true you know, even in the MLS, like how, how much do you see them going up and walking around the stadium and signing autographs? And I think it's, it's one or two things. It's of course, players wanting to give back and, um, and thank people for coming out and make, you know, a little kid's day by signing their things. But I, there's also this, um, this weird connection where you're almost 
people almost think that they're friends with you. Yeah, yeah. And so it's then I think it's it's less of a like I don't know how to word it properly, but it's almost like we're not seen as as high of a like you want that separation in a way where people are supporting this like professional team, but then it's almost like you're like a community team because you're like part of the community in a way. Mm -hmm. It's like it's this weird balance. I don't really know if I'm wording it properly. No, I think I I don't know if I'm to surmise. I think maybe there's less novelty and preciousness there because people are like, well, I can just walk up to Johnny Goudreau and go get whatever. It's like, but when you have limited access to someone, then it becomes even more valuable. But if they feel like, well, no, I can just walk right up anytime I want. It's yeah. I think I know what you're saying. It's almost like a weird, yeah. It's a weird But you still want to be involved in the community and still reach out and still be involved in, in, you know, movements and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a line. Yeah. It's a good point. I never looked at it that way. Yeah. But I think it's also, it's, it's the way that the sport is also growing and building. It's, it's almost like women's pro soccer is still so young, right? It it is growing. Um, I don't think that's an excuse, but I think that it is growing. And I think the players do an amazing job at being a part of the community and like, um, doing those things. There's so many players, like even the national team players are staying out after professional games, signing autographs for, you know, an hour, hour and a half after games. And I think that that's incredible. But like I said, I think that there's, a value that needs to be yeah. kind of yeah, that's a good point that's a good point because i look at someone like you know like christine sinclair and i'm like how is she not like just a household name everywhere and kind of like what else do you mm-hmm. need to do in the game to yeah. get to that well, status do you know what i mean yeah and maybe it goes back to your further your point it's like yeah but because that there's kind of been that mesh and accessibility for mm-hmm. all those years she doesn't get pole vaulted to that status. It's kind of like, yeah, she's an amazing player, but mm-hmm. look over here, you know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's, it's almost like she has been given that credit, but um, I just know, I just, cause I've watched the games and I'm like, it's, it's high level. It's like, everyone mm-hmm. is technically sound. Um, everyone is super fit. It's fast. It's like, I, I was as emotionally involved in those games as I would be watching any other game. Like it was yeah. insane. And I remember, I forget who you guys are playing. It might've been, um, it might've been New Zealand. Our second game in yeah. Edmonton where you had a lot of the possession, but just could like in the final third, just couldn't mm-hmm. make that final through ball. And I remember just being like screaming my head <laughs> off to the point where the person behind me is like, dude, relax. And I'm like, yeah, but just, just get it wide first. And maybe, then just like, I was told totally, if I scream, they'll do what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. About that accessibility. Hey, yeah. come here for a second. <laughs> just call over. Exactly. Come over here real quick. <laughs> Trying to coach Sophie, get over here for a second. Just quicker in the channel. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I was like, you know what? So I think like, you know, if you could look at Canada and the, and putting a full pro women's league together, like coast to coast, as they're trying to do now for CPL for men, mm-hmm. it's like if people can just get to it, it's weird because I had a conversation with a comedian friend of mine. The amount of people who may be in their 40s, 50s, whatever, 20s, 30s, who have never been to a stand up comedy show live mm-hmm. to this day, even though. To me, stand-up comedy is everywhere, and there's Netflix specials, and there's three comedy clubs here, and, you know, Kevin Hart's playing the Dome. Like, it's everywhere around you in the city. But mm-hmm. there's still people who are like, yeah, I've just never, never ever gone before. Yeah. I think there's that element, too, with women's sports in yeah. a way, where it's kind of like, yeah, no, I've just never ever checked that out. Like, it's not yeah. on their, it's not in their consciousness or not on their radar. Yeah. But if they can just get get to one and have yeah. a great experience it's like you're hooked you're like yeah, yeah. this was amazing the game was amazing the players were amazing we got yeah. autographs afterwards my daughters yeah. had a great time my sons had a great time do you know what i mean but you got to get for them in sure. the door first yeah that's the challenge for sure and you know whether that's marketing or whether it's 
media coverage, you know, whatever it is, but there's a reason why, yeah, it's not something that's being filtered through their mind for yeah. to look up, hey, I wonder when the women's team has a game. Yeah, it was it was such yeah. an amazing experience. My wife and I went and I was like, Man, we had the red jerseys on and I'm like, This is this is incredible. Like mm-hmm. it's so good. And I and to me as a Canadian soccer fan, like Let's be honest, there hasn't been a whole lot to cheer about <laughs> either side for about 20 years. Yeah. And then finally, when you know when you guys started, mm-hmm. like the cool thing about it, and I don't know if anyone's ever said this to you guys before, but to see a Canadian soccer team put on the jersey, go out there, represent us internationally, and when you're sitting at home watching this game at whatever god-awful hour day it is, yeah. and you're going, I expect them to win. Just mm-hmm. that expectation, as opposed to before, like, Oh, am I even going to watch this or how bad is this going to be? But it's yeah. like your team starting from that bronze medal in England is like, oh, no, the the, the expectation has changed. And yeah. we it's a different culture. It's a different style of play. It's possession based. Mm-hmm. It was just to me as a fan, it was a palpable difference. I could feel like I I expect this team every single day when they go out to get a result. And yeah. I'm like, that's a change for a Canadian soccer fan. I mean, sure. on either side, men's, yeah. women's. I expect when that women's team walks out to get, they're going to get the three points. Yeah, for sure. And I think we're starting to see, I think the cool thing is you're starting to see the young ones come up with that mindset as well. They're stepping on the field, expecting to win. Yeah. And that's something that, um, you know, the older generation, we don't always have because we lived through that, that older phase where we couldn't step on the field and expect to win. We knew it was going to take a gutsy physical, like it was going to be a battle to perform and to, to get a result. Um, whereas now you see the young kids who, when, you know, the 15, 16 to 20 year olds that are on the national team now, you know, they were watching 2012 when they were like 10 years old, right? you know, so their memories of the national team are success. So now they come in and they're going through the the youth programs. They're coming into the senior team and they come in and they expect to get out of the group and major tournaments. Like nothing less is expected for them that you have to get out of your group. And then beyond that, now there's even more expectations, right, to get into the medal rounds and, and to be in the semi. And I think that that's um, a shift in our program now is you've it's, – it's that different type of confidence and belief that players have. You know, before it was like we faked it till we made it kind of thing. You know, right. it was, yeah, we can beat the Americans. Yeah, we can go out and beat the Germans and beat the French. And yep. now we're actually beating the Germans and the French and, like, getting those results in big tournaments. So yep. I think that that's – a big shift and you see our game like last fall against the u.s um little jesse fleming coming out and just balling out there and you know yeah. taking on alex morgan and taking on the midfielders and 17 without a fear you know and i think that that's you're starting to see that confidence where they step on the field and see themselves as just as good if not better than those players and that's a massive shift that we're seeing yeah it's so cool yeah i think you nailed it because people talk about um you know, player confidence, but I think like a cultural confidence, if you know what I'm saying, where it's like, no, no, around here, this is, this is how we go about our business. And this is what the expectation is. Like that's, yeah. that's a generational thing. I think you're right. That new group coming through is like, yeah, yeah, that's the bar. That's yeah. always the bar as opposed to God, I hope we survive this 90 minutes and don't get pounded. You yeah. know, it's like, Oh, we'll maybe get a break and score on a corner. It's yeah. a very different vibe. And I just think as a soccer fan, it's it's so cool. It's so mm-hmm. cool to be like, yeah, we're probably going to win this because we usually win. Like, yeah. that's a different vibe for a Canadian. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure. And it's it's funny. I was listening to a podcast the other day. I think it was CBC um, with Jen Heil. Mm-hmm. Um, she was on it with a couple other um, others on it. And they were talking about swagger in Canada. 
and in the business world and whatever it was and Jen kind of brought it in the athletic world and I think that you know that's what you're starting to see is that bit of swagger because it comes with you know there's a hint of ego in there yep but it's you need that I think in sports when you walk on the field it's it's one thing to be confident but you need to walk on and kind of show like yep you know I know I'm gonna win this like when you see the person you're going against and you kind of give them that look like you may beat me once, but that's it. Like, I'm going to take you down. I'm going to do whatever it takes for yep. you not to beat me again. And it is that bit of swagger that we're starting to see build up in Canadian sports, especially in, in soccer. Yeah. And especially when you have, when you start to develop a record of wins, mm -hmm. that breeds confidence, for right? Sure. Like we've done it before. We did it last week. We did it last yeah. year. You walk into situations and they might be pressure filled situations, but it's like, We've had success in, mm -hmm. in a similar environment before. Yeah. So everything leads you to believe you're going to have the same result today. Exactly. Um, and that's that's the great thing about winning. It breeds more winning. You know, yeah. it's like you just, nah, we'll find a way. Even on the days that you're not performing great, you're like, we'll gut it out. We'll figure it out. Definitely. Uh, which I think is a really, really, a really cool thing. Before we started the podcast, you and I were talking a little bit about um, meditation. And I'm new to it. I only started about two years ago. And it's funny that you say new because a lot of people when they're like, I'm new to it. I started last week, <laughs> like two years ago. <laughs> well, you're you're like... pretty much a pro. <laughs> <laughs> I teach a meditation yeah. course now. It's uh, <laughs> teach it at a pub. Still new. And, I'm a uh, do Wednesday wing night and meditation down at the old <laughs> Blarney Stone. But uh, it's funny because the reason why I started it is because I, in the entertainment world especially, it's really hard to uh, gauge and we get back to this term of success, you know, about what, what is success and how do you gauge it? And what does it, what does it look like? And what I started to realize was that I was starting to check off all these boxes of things that I wanted to do career wise, but I wasn't any happier. I was like, well, I, I did that. And it's almost like, uh, it's almost like you get to the top of a mountain and you look around and you're like, Oh, it's cloudy. Like this, I can't see anything from here. I thought the view was going to be amazing. Yeah. It turns out, like, no, it's all shit. Like, yeah. you know, I don't see anything. Yeah, I don't. And so I, I was like, well, there has to be something else. And I'd heard about meditation for years and all those things. And finally, I just, I think, like, it's just an app on my phone that I mm. use. I use this one called Daily Calm, and I've used Headspace before. Um, but it was amazing how it's changed how I look at the world every single day. Like, I don't base happiness now so much on achievement and you know, I got this festival or I just did this show or this, this show is sold out. It's like, it's like n now it's more about the small things every single day and appreciating the small things. And it sounds cheesy and corny. And if people are listening to this the first time, they're like, Oh, this sounds a little, but I, I really feel like that is a major problem in the world right now where people are basing their happiness on these outside achievements and who loves you. And did you get the promotion at work? And are you whatever? And I'm, and I'm like, I think everyone's got it ass backwards. I think mm -hmm. people need to look inward first and then the world outside you just seems to change. You just look at it differently. I don't know what your relationship is like with meditation or why you decided to go to it, but that was kind of my journey to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, mine's very similar in the sense of um, I was always looking externally for the gratification and the, um, the support, the confidence, the how I feel about myself. I was constantly looking externally and it, it just started draining on me and was really um, taking so much energy for me, which I didn't even realize it was taking energy for me. Um, but I remember I got in touch with Lululemon um, just through my agent, just randomly. I went out for coffee with one of the girls from Lulu and started um, becoming an ambassador for them, mostly because I'm a big advocate for living a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy doing yoga as recovery, blah, blah, blah. And then 
I went, they took all of the athletes on a um, surf and yoga retreat. Cool. Um, they took us to Hawaii. And it was on that retreat that I really started to fall in love with yoga in a completely different way and started to see the whole mindset part of it. And um, before I kind of looked at yoga and I was like, oh, this is like a nice little workout. I like getting sweaty and this is fun. <laughs> yeah. um, but I never really looked at the mental side of it. And then um, on this retreat, I remember like looking at the daily schedule and it was like, 30 minutes of meditation in the morning and then two hours of yoga and then afternoon meditation and then two hours of yoga. And I remember thinking in my head like, oh, geez, that's a lot of meditation and yoga and yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of non-activity that thinking. I was thinking, you know, like just and I remember going in with kind of this like negative, just not a fear, but it was just a bit of like, oh, man, I'm this is going to be so boring or yeah. I'm not going to enjoy those moments of this thing. And I remember those were like my most memorable moments was just really finding and seeing this new side to it and being able to turn inwards for so much and realizing how much internal strength I had. I think it first came with like the first meditation we got through and I felt like it was so quick. I'm like, that was 30 minutes already. Like, holy. And then just the more and more it went, the more that I was able to look inwards and develop strength and confidence inwards. And I think that that's what really made it stuck and was the same thing, just being able to go inside. And I think that that's, where now in my daily life, when I find that I'm really searching for that external gratification, then those are the moments where I am able to switch it and come inwards. And yeah, yeah, it is amazing because I, I don't know if you thought this, but I thought, I don't know why going in as an idiot probably, but <laughs> I went into meditation thinking it was just good for while you're doing it. Like, Oh, yeah. that's a great break for your mind and a reset. Yep. And now you go on about your day and you've just been refreshed or whatever. But now learning that like no no now you're mindful throughout the day of like mm, what's that voice in your head telling you right now it's like yeah. oh you like you just learn to step back and press pause and go oh you're feeling that because you whatever you know what i mean like yeah. it's just that pause and that's what i try to explain to people who don't do it it's not mm-hmm. you know um a cultish type thing it's yeah. just like it's just a little bit of an ability to go you're not your thoughts your yeah. thoughts are just clouds that are passing by and you can step mm-hmm. back from them and go wow, I felt that and it's passing and it's gone. And why did I feel it? Like just that awareness. And that was the really eye opening thing to me. Like I was like, wow, this is like a game changer. For sure. I really noticed it on the field as well. Same thing. Like when thoughts were to come into my head mid game or if I was getting distracted or I'd make a mistake in those thoughts, I was able to quickly like shift them out and come back to the present moment. And it's, it's not that you don't have those thoughts because those thoughts thoughts are always going to be there. And it's just being able to control them really and yep. um, choose what you're paying attention to and what you're giving energy to and choosing what not to. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think Jerry Seinfeld actually is a big, um, he does the transcendental med- meditation. He's big on that. Mm-hmm. I've never tried that, but he explains it as, he does it 20 minutes in the morning, I think, and 20 minutes in the evening. He just explains it as finding the charger for your phone. It's like plugging your phone back in. Like That's mm-hmm. what it feels like to him in terms of, uh, a clarity and being able to focus without distraction and also energy. Like you Mm -hmm. just find that you're re-energized because I think especially now with like cell phones and like all the stuff we're bombarded with all day, it's, it's so easy to kind of just lose your way. And all of that is energy and focus going out the door Mm -hmm. as opposed to going, but what am I really supposed to focus on right now? And what, what is, what is my goal for today? What are my intentions for today? But just taking that time, it's like, I can't, 
I can't express it enough how much it changed, like just the enjoyment of life in general, but like a basic day. I na- and the other thing I added was a gratitude practice of like mm-hmm. just thinking of three things that I'm grateful for and mm-hmm. from small to big to whatever made a big difference. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that too. Um, I also do gratitude journaling and it's, it's cool to see the things that get repeated within it. Yeah. Like the things that constantly come to the forefront of my mind. And then there's times where I'm fighting and I'm like, no, put something different today. Yeah. And then yeah. I'm like, no, it's yourself. okay. You start judging your yeah. gratitude practice. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm like, God, you were I grateful hate... for that yesterday. I'm not great at gratitude. I'm <laughs> sucking at gratitude today. Uh, be better at gratitude. That's your gratitude. <laughs> <laughs> That's my first one. I'm grateful for being grateful. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I just thought it was, because uh, I, I saw the video actually that you mm-hmm. did that little video you did with uh, Lululemon. Yeah. I watched it and I was like, oh, that's so cool that you're, that you've been doing that. Cause I was like, I, I would, I think everyone should at least try it. I think everyone should mm-hmm. try for like, just try for a week, seven days yeah. and just see how you feel at the end of it. And I think people will go, wow. Like you just feel yeah. a greater sense of calm. Like even sure. I was telling you earlier about like rushing the CBC to try mm-hmm. it there for this morning. And I did at one point was like losing my stuff. And I was like, just able to pause and go, all right, dude, yeah. What is the worst case scenario that happens if you don't get there? Like yeah. you just don't get on. It's not the end of the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just, you start becoming very reasonable for sure. You know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was just really, really cool to, but I would imagine, yeah, as an athlete, especially as a keeper, mm-hmm. the ability to kind of focus in the moment and you know, you have fans going behind you, going crazy, mm-hmm. yelling stuff out, trying to get you off your game to be able to just kind of focus in on the play and where you have to be positionally. I can, I can imagine clarity and just yeah. that, like just finite, focus exactly. is great to have yeah and to be able to do it over a length of time like building up the the strength and the stamina within that to yeah to be able to do that over a 90 minute game is with lots of distractions yeah yeah it was a big deal mm-hmm. talk a little bit about um john herdman and i know you talked a little bit about him coming in with the focus and, and getting everyone on board but when he came into the team what do you think what was the cultural change that had to happen within the program where you guys go, okay, look, if we're going to do anything with this, this is what did he do specifically that was like, okay, this is, this ship has turned 180. I think he really like had this goal of putting Canada soccer on the map. And I think we always had this vision of like, Oh, we want to win. We want to do well, but it was never a tangible thing. And he came in with this like certainty and this, um, it's not only that he said, we are going to see the, like when he came in in 2011 and said, we're going to see the flag rise in 2012 and this team's going to be on the podium. It's one thing to say that, but then for him to, to build this roadmap and to, to have it so planned out and so um, like there being so much thought behind every single step of the way, I think that that's what built the belief in the team and built the confidence of the team that we were actually going to get there. And, um, you know, of course, having success so early helps build yep. a lot of support and people's belief within you as a coach. But I think it was just him coming in with that winning mentality that we didn't have before. Um, and just this certainty behind getting a result and everything was built towards getting that result. And I think that that's what shifted in our program. It's interesting, too, because that comes up again, too, about just intention, right? Like. Yep. Yeah, you're right. People can say they want this and say they want that, but it's like, are we doing the day-to-day structural things that need to happen for this goal to be yeah. achieved? Like that, I, I don't know if even if you're not on a team in a team or 
in sport, in my line of work, same thing. It's like you have to have clear intention every single day, and that yeah. has to be a habitual practice every single day to get you to that point. Mm-hmm. And it, it's harder when you have a group of people because you have to get every single person to buy into that. And if you're coming from a culture where you haven't been winning – Mm-hmm. That hangover is easy to bring into like, oh, here's a new guy with his, oh, yeah. really? We're going to go, yeah, right. Like mm-hmm. that could be a negative thing that can kind of eat through a team too. So was was it hard, that transition of like, everyone's just like, oh, this is all great. And everyone bought in or was yeah. there a little bit of resistance of people like, what's this about? I think there definitely was a learning curve. You know, he came in, maybe it was about two months after we just finished last in a World Cup. So people are kind of like, yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> In 11 months, we're going to be on the podium in an Olympics. Like, sure thing. Right, pal. Yeah. yeah. Um, we hadn't even qualified for the last Olympics of 2000. Or sorry, no, we were in 2008. The one before that, you know, we didn't even qualify for. So it's like, we're kind of looking at him, you know, like, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. And we all kind of knew him because he had coached New Zealand before. So we had played against him. And we all have these memories of him on the bench with New Zealand with his little headpiece in that we used to raz him for and <laughs> and then we were like oh he's actually talking to people who were upstairs giving him information and that's actually like i don't what know what thought? we thought it was like we thought it was he's like talking a, to a buddy right yeah like, dude like, i don't know if i can make the barbecue tonight yeah. just a second <laughs> you gotta pressure her okay yeah, yeah no so i'll bring the steaks <laughs> yeah like it was his little bluetooth or something i don't know but we were always just like oh that coach and his earpiece like we and he'd just be yelling and you know we didn't yeah funny so we had this of course you know your preconceived notion of who this guy is and then right. he walks in and is like you guys are gonna we're gonna win next year and we're like okay mm-hmm. you know like we all want to win but like yeah show us some more depth here you know and i think it was just he came in with that massive uh, message but then built with it and like slowly brought the team along it um, creates belief the, as exactly. you go yeah yeah um so he leaves the team um your reaction to that uh shock <laughs> wasn't something that uh we had expected um but at the same time i'm such a like i've always like with you know going back to the meditation and controlling your thoughts i'm I've been through a few coaching changes with the national team. I've, I was there with Evan Pellerud. I was there with Carolina Marache and then with John. Um, so I've kind of, I've done that before and I've played with different pro teams and university and club teams. And I think I'm just like, I knew that it was going to take more energy than not to like dwell on it. And mm-hmm. I was kind of, I think the point I was at was I was like, you know what? John's been with us for like four years, five years. And why not? it's time for a change. Maybe this is for the best. And like, I think I was just at the point where I was like, well, he made his decision. So there's like, nothing's going to change by me lingering and whining about it. And, you know, asking questions, why did he leave? Like, is this a personal thing? Does he not want to coach us anymore? Like all these things, you know, you can do that. But for me, it was just like an energy, energy waster. And mm-hmm. I think that I moved on pretty quickly and <laughs> yeah. was like pretty ready for a new coach and yeah. something new. And, um, for me, it's like change, is always good if you go in with the right mindset and the right um, mentality. So I was all about just like being open to it and being open to somebody new and bringing in a new flair and a new background and yeah, a new way of coaching. So, yeah, I think it's funny, interesting, but talking about change in general is that like you can resist change and I find you're right. It's like, it's way more energy to do that as opposed Mm -hmm. to going, okay, that's the cards we've been dealt. How do you use that in a way that's productive now? Like, 
Um, because you really don't know if something's good or bad. That's just a thing that you put on it. Like yeah. it's good or bad. It's like, at the end of the day, it's like, no, it is what it is. And yeah. now you just find a way to make it a positive thing. And it's yeah. easier to say than it is to do in the moment, especially when emotions involved and all those things. But, um, with the new coach coming in, how have things changed? Is it a different philosophy in a lot of ways? Are you playing a different style, a different formation? What, what has the new coach been like in terms of, of what it looks like? Yeah, it's it's different in the sense of like they're two very different um, motivators and different types of speakers and different energies. Um, John is a motivator. He's a speaker. He loves to like grab a group in and give them this powerful speech that puts you in tears somehow five minutes before you're ready to go play a game. But like, you know, that's who he is and that's what he brings. And um, he's genius at that. And I don't think you can ever compare anyone to him. but John laid such a tactical foundation for our team. He taught us and got us to this level where we understand so many systems of play offensively, defensively. Um, we're looking at the game in a completely different way. Our like soccer IQ has increased so much. Um, so he really laid a structural foundation for us. Um, and Kenneth comes in with a little more of a attacking creativity and he sees a little more flow in it. So I think without John, Kenneth's like creativity wouldn't be able to flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like the foundation that John has, has laid for us is now allowing people to become more creative within the foundation. Cause it's one thing to be creative, but if there's no kind of structural integrity to it, yep. then it can fall apart. So it's like, it's like we talk about filling spaces, for example, that's kind of the, you always want spaces filled, but then you want people to be able to go off page and, and mm-hmm. kind of do their own thing. But then you need the other people who are the, the foundations to be able to constantly fill those spaces in a way to make up for and allow the creative individuals to do their thing. So yep. I think that Kenneth's bringing a little more of a relaxed, um, not as like hammering down on the, the little details that, that John was, um, but because we've hammered down on those details for so long that those things are becoming a little more um like subconscious with us now and mm-hmm. um Kenneth's bringing out a little bit of a different creative attacking flow that's cool mm-hmm. when does the national team get together again um as of right now possibly end of august um and then we have our world cup qualifying in october right yeah um and i guess this is you'll f- you probably do feel that this is something that will grow in terms of with the new coach and the new system and the new the more you get together. Cause it, I've always felt like as for national team players, you get together for these short periods of time and like stuff's gotta be drilled in quickly. Like mm-hmm. there's not a lot of time. It's not like a club yeah. team where we every day for months, we get to just drill this stuff over and over again. Like stuff's got to come together very, very quickly. Yeah. You know, Oh, for sure. It's like, yeah, come in and, and it's even, you know, sessions are monitored cause everyone's coming in from pro. They've usually, when we come into camp, we have played a game within the last day or two. So you're coming in and it's like recovery sessions, tapering, and then you're tapering into an international game. So sessions can't be that heavy. So it's like it is this dynamic of being able to bring everybody together. And it's a lot a lot of off field work that you end up doing just to like make up for the lack of intensity allowed on field in a way. Right. Um, So a lot of like we do a lot of grow room stuff. So we go in, there's a room with a bunch of computers and all of our training footage and game footage is on there. Okay. Um, Footage of the other team that we're going to be playing. So it's a lot of work within like the backline midfields forwards or different units, different partnerships to, to watch a lot of video and kind of um, get ourselves to 
a higher level without having to do as much on-field work. Yep. So it's a lot of that kind of stuff so that we can really have good quality when we're on field. And, um, yeah, it's just about like taking every moment and, um, getting as much quality as we can out of it, knowing that the quantity won't be there. Right. Exactly. Um, and now for you as a player, what do you have goals in mind where you think, Hey, this is what you would like to achieve as a player, um, or as part of a team, like what, what would that look like for you in terms of, of things you want to do in the future or down the road? Yeah, I mean, I like to set big goals, but then at the same time, like, I don't make them the, the ultimatum. Like, it's not – if I don't achieve this, I won't feel successful. Right. Um, so I achieve big goals so that I have a daily motivator. Um, so my, my two big goals are obviously to win a World Cup and win an Olympics. And um, with that, that's kind of what drives me every day and – um, I'm pretty in the moment, so I'm pretty aware of just like wanting to get better every single day and enjoying that journey and enjoying what each day brings and not being too concerned with what the end result ends up being. Yeah. Um, because I've, I've been on championship teams and like won things where I didn't enjoy the process. And then I've been on teams where I've enjoyed the process and not got the same end result, but right. still kind of enjoyed it all. Is that me? It probably is me. <laughs> As my phone goes off in the middle of the... How unprofessional. Yeah. Where is my producer? <laughs> I don't have a producer. My dog is in the kennel right now, and he's, he's supposed, supposed to, to be producing this thing. I mean, while the phone's going off. This is why this thing is not on television. This is why it's a podcast. It should be over here in a second. Um, I like that, though. I like the idea of, like, that's a great point too. like to talk about goals and everyone needs them in life, but you're right. Like it can't be, I don't know the, the hook that you hang your happiness on because mm-hmm. a lot of those things are not even up to you winning world cups. Like you play a role in it, but at mm-hmm. the end of the day, it involves a lot more than you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a great kind of lesson for people as well. That like, you can still have goals and strive for things, but at the end of the day, trying to remain balanced and happy during that entire process. Like I tell yeah. young comedians that all the time about if they're kind of, you know, like there's that drive. But, you know, when people are over eager and it's like, I got to get this and I got to yeah. get that. It's like, I think you'll get that and you still won't be happy. Like it won't yeah. be enough because you don't appreciate here and now. And if you exactly. don't appreciate here and now, then when you get that thing, you won't appreciate that either because someone else is going to have more yeah. than you. Exactly. So it never ends. No, Exactly. So I think that ability to have goals but still go, yeah, they're there, and if I get to them, great. But if yeah. I don't, I'm also going to be fine. Exactly. It's super, super. Because anything can happen, too, along the way. I mean, like, I can say I want those things, but all of a sudden an injury comes or um, anything can happen to get in the way that's out of my control. There's so many things out of my control along right. the way. So it's like if I'm so focused on that end thing, something comes in that's out of my control, I'm going to be devastated and mm-hmm. whatnot. But if I've... If I'm taking it day by day and enjoying each day, then there's not much else you can do kind of thing. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, I feel too, like when I look back on things, I go things that I thought were or or were terrible in the moment, they actually were. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I look back on it, like there was a gift in it, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't realize it at the time because it was whatever. Like I, my grandparents raised me and my grandmother passed away the the year I graduated from university. So I just, you know, like, I'm about to start my life. And then my grandmother was gone and I'm like, you know, you're devastated. But I think about like, I got through that. You get, you find a way to just go on with life or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so now when I look at other things that may be a struggle or I go in comparison to that, like that's nothing. And so 
I guess walking on stage for the first time and performing in front of people was like not a big deal in comparison to having come through that. So it's like that was almost the the thing that was passed on to me from that moment. But in the moment, you're just like, oh, God, this is like you want to just never get out of bed ever again. Yeah. You know, so it's weird how how life kind of works. So I try and look for that stuff now where it's like, OK, hey, this sucks right now, but there's something in this to take forward. Yeah, like, there's something else to carry from here. Definitely um, to dig through. So. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you this last question and then uh, we're going to do the real podcast. So this was just a preliminary interview, just a warm up, just going to walk through. We'll make some changes to the script and then uh, (laughs) we'll uh, um, here's something I like to ask people a lot of times on the podcast is this question. What is the biggest uh, misconception that people may have about you? And then what is the actual truth? Hmm. Oh, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, misconception. Like what things have you heard people like, oh, I thought she was, and then they're like, but in reality, like um, for me, people think because I'm a comedian that I'm on all the time. Okay. Like it's like, oh, he yeah. must be just, and it's like, I, no, I'm not, you know? I think like I have two, two maybe, like a more recent one, I think, um, the, the notion that, um, I tried out for a men's team for like a media stunt oh, wow, um, really? or that for, was a... for attention or whatnot. I've, I've heard that go around. I don't think a lot. Um, but I'll just put that out there right now that that wasn't it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did it to develop. Right. Um, and then I think another one I would say is like, I'm, I think that I'm pretty, um, I try to be pretty authentic in terms of my social media. So I think that on my social media, I try to get out the real me and not paint a picture of like the athlete life being super glamorous and mm-hmm. everything's perfect. And, but I think that whether it's me or athletes in general, the, the notion that our life is easy and that, um, things are always given to us and things just kind of fall into our laps, I guess. Um, I guess that notion would be the biggest, um, misconception Whereas, like I said, I think that I'm pretty genuine on my social media that I show that it's not like that. It's not always happy days and um, things don't always go well. But I would say that that would be the biggest kind of misconception is that, um, yeah, the pro athlete life is glamorous and <laughs> easy and and like, yeah, everything goes your way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I hope this wasn't too painful. No, uh, this it was wasn't. great. Oh, good. It was awesome. Because some Thank people you. are like, they don't know. They're like, what's going to happen? Yeah. Is it going to be what's just next? Like, and I like them to be more just conversational. Yeah, like, yeah. it's just kind of easy breezy. But yeah, it was awesome. Thanks so much. No problem. Thanks All for right. having me. All right. Next time. Really enjoyed that chat with Steph Labe. I hope you did too. Uh, fantastic guest, lots of great insight. And uh, again, another example of how fortunate I am to have such amazing people lend me their time and expertise. I'm telling you, you know, it's, uh, you, you can't help but be happy. You can't help but smile when people are that kind to you. Huh? So I hope you enjoyed that. Feel free to share that episode with anyone you think would enjoy it. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Generators Podcast. You know, that way you're getting automatic updates. Bam, new episodes coming at you all the time. And also, you can write a review if you'd like to do so on the Generators Podcast on iTunes. Huh? That helps give us a little bump and kind of increase the profile a little bit so more folks 
can hear this thing if you think there's value in it. Um, thanks again for listening, and uh, I hope you're going to have a fantastic day and a fantastic week. I'm, decide you will. Decide that you're going to, and then bam, you do. That's how it works. Just, just bam like that. So, all right. Thanks for listening to The Generators, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.